Hey all you spooky listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. I'll be taking you through some of the most heinous, shocking, and morbid crimes, including, of course, the paranormal. Listener discretion is advised. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at morbid, period, curiosity, period, TC podcast, where you can find photos related to our cases, including crime scene photos on occasion, of course, with the exception of postmortem photos. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Hey, you guys, welcome back for episode 28. Um, Just want to make a few announcements before we get on up in the episode for today, okay? Um, First and foremost, uh, this murder in particular went viral online a couple of years ago. Uh, I say a couple, it's probably like well over 10 years old now. Um, Anyway, so if you look up this case, bear in mind you may come across that murder video because it is still out on the internet. How do I know? I watched it a while ago. Um, I was like, there's no way. Yeah, it's real. Um, and you will get very sick. So, please do not look up anything regarding this case unless you were looking something up for informational purposes. Um, as far as, like, you know, news articles or something like that. Do not look for photos or anything else because you will find it and you will regret it trust me it is very very gruesome um not only will you find this murder video you will find this man killing animals so just a heads up this this man is extremely brutal and you will find what you're searching for so just don't do it period right okay uh the next thing is There was an interview that I found on YouTube, um, and it is titled, Barbie Tells All About Dating Killer Luca Magnata. And yes, we're covering Luca Magnata today. Um, The title is going to be The Murder of Justin Lin, a.k.a. Justin Lin. Because I want to represent the victim and not, you know, all about Luca Magnata. Because if you look this up, it's all about Luca. Like, it's just, you know our victim doesn't get enough representation. So anyway, um, we're gonna get up, we're gonna get on to it here in just a minute, but that interview is pretty informational um, and interesting, so give it a listen. Go to the bathroom, get you some snacks and a drink, and let's get on to it. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. So, beginning, we're going to talk about our victim, Justin Lin, kind of like his story. Um, I wanted to kind of talk more about him because the rest of the case is going to be, you know, more revolving around Luca. So, we're going to get into this. So, 
Justin was born December 30th, 1978. Of course, he was a Chinese citizen, so he was in the industrial city of Wuhan, which was the capital of Chinese central Hubei province. Um, now, he did move to Beijing several years ago, and pretty much he was, like, preparing to move to Canada. That was his dream, just going to Canada. He studied French at the Alliance Francaise Cultural Center, hoping it would help him you know, be a little bit more qualified for immigration to Quebec. So, more than anything else, though, he wanted to find love. Um, now, when the teacher of an entrepreneurial course at Montreal's Tyrk College asked him what his goal in life was, Justin said his biggest ambition was just to find love. He had come to Canada in 2010 with the intention of starting a new life there and studying computer engineering. In 2012, he was registered as an international student and an undergraduate in the engineering and computer science uh, facility at Concordia University in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. So, very, very smart, very ambitious, and just, you know, doing what he can to live this life that he wanted to live. Now, of course, he was so happy that he was able to go to Canada he even posted a post, um, like, with a title saying, I'm going to Canada, and he posted that, like, May 10th, 2010. Now, he seemed to feel even more isolated, though, because after arriving in Canada at his new place of living, at one point, he noted he was the oldest person in his class at Concordia, uh, Concordia, excuse me. He said, quote, Suddenly I realized that I'm about 10 years older than my classmates. They would have no problem calling me uncle. It's so crushing. End quote. Now, one of the first photos he put on his Weibo account after arriving in the city is kind of like a half-populated street, right? Under which he posed the question, quote, What is life? Now, he had been studying in Montreal since July 2011, previously attending the Thai Art College I spoke about, like a language school. He had worked part-time as a convenience store clerk in Point St. Charles. He then moved into um, a Griffintown area apartment with a roommate May 1st, 2012. Now, I will, I will say this. Justin was also secretly, and I say, I say that secretly, part of the LGBT excuse me, LGBTQ plus community. That always gets me tongue-tied. Um, as he was, you know, he was a gay man. Now, he did keep this from his family. Um, they weren't very supportive of that. Um, from what I have researched, they wanted him to settle down. He was getting older. They wanted him to settle down and, you know, just get married. You know, that kind of thing. You know, the tra quote, I say, I say air bunny quotes, okay, the traditional way, okay, but you love who you want, I don't care. Be happy. We only get one life. Anyway, so, um, Justin really never came out to his family in China, even though they had met his boyfriend. <laughs> now, shortly before the murder, his relationship with that partner had ended because he was experiencing pressure from his family to settle down and marry a woman, like I was saying a minute ago. Now, after breaking up with his boyfriend, he had been using the app Grinder and other web applications to meet new men in the area. Now, unfortunately, 
Luke and Magnata took advantage of that. Um, cause he said later that they had met, you know, up responding to his Craigslist ad proposing sex and bondage. So, you know, you get those crazies. So I don't care what you're into. Everyone needs to be safe and please, 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 please take the warning. And, you know, I know we use Tinder. Hell, I met my fiance through Tinder. Meet in public places. Don't meet up just for, you know, sexual purposes. Um, I don't, I don't really know. Just be safe. Carry protection. And I'm not talking about just condoms. Carry protection. You know, be packing. So, um, that's how they met through Craigslist. Now, he also had a Cena Weibo account, which he would often post photos of him doing stuff like watching movies, some of his cats. He went to, like, Disneyland. He would post, you know, quite a few stuff. Now, on the darker side of his Weibo account, he would post kind of like, I don't want to say weird, but it was just kind of like alternative photos, I guess you could say. So, like on Valentine's Day, for example, he posted a computer altered photo of himself with like wild purple hair and a cracked face that turns gray around the mouth. Um, it was like broken and like missing teeth and like he titled it my self-portrait as the caption so he you know he was experiencing loneliness and he just wanted someone to connect with now in another post about a month before you know his murder he took a photo of an empty montreal subway car and put the caption midnight cannibalism train which led some Chinese internet users to speculate that he was, like, foreshadowing his own death. Um, which is kind of creepy. So, anywho, he, he bounced back and forth like we all do. You know, you get lonely and then you're happy. You're lonely and you're happy. It happens. So, now let's talk about Luca. So, Luca Magnata... He was actually born Eric Clinton Kirk Newman, which that's a lot of hella names. Um, he was born July 24th, 1982 in Scarborough, Ontario. Um, he was the son of Anna Yorkin and Donald Newman. He was the eldest of the three children, and according to him and his mother, he, excuse me, according to him, his mother was obsessed with cleanliness, so like almost kind of like a like an OCD about being clean, right? Now, she reportedly would routinely lock her children out of the house and once put her kids' pet rabbits out in the cold to freeze to death. I don't really know if these are true claims or not. That's just what I found. Um, also, his father was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1994, which, after his divorce to Anna, um, led Luca moving in with his grandmother, Phyllis. So, he had kind of a weird, rough childhood, you know, like normal psychopaths have early in life. Um, it's the nicest way I can put it. Uh, he attended I.E. Weldon Secondary School in Lindsay. Now, later on, he was supposedly diagnosed with schizophrenia as well. 
So he received a disability allowance. Um, he supplemented the source of income with prostitution. Um, so he started working as an escort. He began in 2003 to appear also in gay porno videos. He also worked as a stripper and he appeared as a pinup model in a 2005 issue of Toronto's Fab magazine using his alias Jimmy. Now, although some media labeled him as like a porn star after the murder, I just want you guys to know he was anything but prolific or high profile in the porn industry. Um, and he had shot less than a dozen videos over a five-year period. So, people in the industry were like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> they didn't know. They don't know who this person is. He wasn't, like, this big star. You know, like, some people have just crazy, I guess, ratings and stuff. I don't know. But he just wasn't that big in it. Um, and a staff member of the Internet Adult Film Database commented upon reviewing Luca's output that, quote, not even the porn industry was much interested in him, end quote. So he didn't really have success in the porn. He didn't have success um, as a model or anything like that. How the stripper thing and prostitution thing went, I don't know. He probably made money, but we don't really know much about that. Now, he legally changed his name from Eric Clinton Kirk Newman, that's a mouthful, to Luca Rocco Magnata, and that was officially done August 12, 2006. And then he went on to declare bankruptcy in March 2007. He owed like 17k and some various debts and then bankruptcy was fully discharged December 2007. Now, we're going to get into some cringe parts, okay? This this man is all cringe to me, just saying. He's like <sighs> Well, for one, he's a psychopath and a killer of animals and humans, so um, we don't like him very much, but that's just my personal opinion, but the cringe comes in when he was trying to be famous, <laughs> so we'll get into that. So, speaking of him trying to become famous, right? Uh, 2007, he was a competitor in Out TV's re reality series Cover Guy which, of course, he didn't have success with. He also had multiple plastic surgeries, which each to their own. Um, you know, after that, he was auditioning for Slice Network TV show Plastic Makes Perfect in 28... 28? <laughs> February 2008. Sorry, guys. I'm used to saying 2022. Like, I don't know. It just happened. Anyway, he also created, like, a shit ton of profiles on social media. Um... He pretty much done that whole thing of like he was his own paparazzi at this point so he created rumors he also had a page where he would sing his own praises um that he was like a successful model and like this really prominent porn star even though he was never either now police stated that after investigating into some of this i shit you not this kid had 70 facebook pages 7070 Facebook pages that he used. Of course, false names, identities, whatever. And 20 different websites that he used, too. Um, he would use the pages to, you know, like I said, sing his own praises. He even called himself the new James Dean. <laughs> I told you the cringe was coming. Um, 
He even used it to attack other people. Like, if people were, like, hating on his stuff, he'd be like, eh, da, da, da. You know, he would start drama with them online. He tried to start rumors about himself to attract more, like, media attention or, like, attention from people in general. And one rumor emerged in 2007 when he was claiming he was in a relationship with Carla Homoka. Um, if you don't know who that is, look it up. She's she's also just a bad. Now, she was a high-profile Canadian convicted murderer who, with her husband, mind you, Paul Bernardo, tortured, raped, and killed um, some young women, including her own sister. And if I'm not mistaken, they videoed it. Uh, or some shit like that, from what I remember. The only exposure I have to this case is the movie that came out, and I watched it a long time ago. Um, I looked it up a little bit, but I didn't really dig into it. But, yeah, that, that, that would be a case we'd probably cover eventually. Anyway, um, but he pretty much just denied it and was like, oh, I didn't say that, you know, that kind of thing. Now, during the murder investigation in 2012, though, Montreal police announced that they did indeed date... Um, but then took it back. Like, they were just like, oh, uh, did we say that? Never mind. Now, they pretty much acknowledged that they had no evidence to back up their claim. So, as the relationship with Carla, uh, you know, Luca always declined it. Like, denied it. He was like, no, sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. He pretty much went on this, like, I don't know, this rumor streak of himself. That makes sense. Like, he was just trying to get attention. And he got it. So. Now, uh, the Toronto Sun reporter who had interviewed him in 2007 about the Carla rumors also later said that he had found him troubled. And that he had um, suspected at the time that Luca had made up the rumors to gain attention. Which, duh. You know, that's who he was. Now, however, he had assumed that if he was, um, if anything, more of a danger to himself... Now, a trans woman who had briefly dated Luca at the time in 2012 um, said that he was kind of like obsessed with becoming famous. And this is the interview that I was telling you about in the beginning of the episode. Uh, her name is Barbie. Uh, so you can look up that interview and watch her give her testimony. But um, yeah, pretty much that he was obsessed with becoming famous. Anything to be famous, he wanted to do it. Now, um, he also seemed to receive Carla and her accomplice, you know, like her husband, Paul, as role models from what Barbie said. And it was just kind of, it was just kind of odd. Now, uh, trigger warning here, because this is the part that I hate the most. Um, there's the Netflix series, Don't Fuck With Cats. We all know it. I have not watched it. I do not watch animal stuff. Can't stand that shit. Um... So, I haven't watched it, but we're about to get, a, get into early crimes, and that also includes animal abuse. So, just be prepared for that. I would skip maybe 30 minutes. 30 minutes, look at me. 30 seconds to a minute, excuse me, uh, if you don't want to listen to that. So, yeah. Here we go. So earlier in Luca's, you know, life in 2005, that era, um, by that by that time, like the early time, he was still going by his like birth name, which you know Eric. So he was convicted on one count of impersonation and three counts of fraud. 
which was against Sears Canada, the Brick, and 2001 audio video. Um, he had taken advantage of a mentally disabled young woman by pretty much just convincing her to apply for credit cards and using them to purchase over like 10k worth of goods for himself. Like, you know, he was a scammer. He was a con artist. Um, he was also accused of sexually assaulting the woman, although the charge was later dropped. So we don't really know what happened with that. Maybe not enough evidence. Who knows? Um, he did plead guilty and he received a nine-month conditional sentence with 12 months of probation. Now, the court noted at the time that he had significant psychiatric, wow, I can't talk, um, issues and did not always take his medication. So, he was supposed to be on meds, he wasn't taking his meds, and, you know, he was just crazy. So, in 2010, he posted on YouTube, this is about the animals, so skip if you want to, 30 seconds a minute, uh, here's your chance, last chance. He posted a YouTube video titled, One Boy, Two Kittens, in which he deliberately suffocated two kittens in a plastic bag with a vacuum cleaner. He can go fuck himself. Um, he later published a second video of himself, this time drowning a cat in the bathtub. A third video showed him feeding a cat to a python. And of course, while I was looking up Luca Magnata, unfortunately I seen clips. Not like in motion clips, but like, you know, screenshots of the clips of cats. And I got super pissed. So, the cat in the bathtub, I just will say, he taped this cat to a fucking broomstick and drowned it. Yeah, that's why I don't cover things like that, because I literally could just, like, choke someone. <sighs> anyway, in January 2011, a private Facebook group identified him as the person in all three videos. Animal rights activists were, like, pissed, which I don't blame them. They offered, like, $5,000 for a, a reward to whoever can bring him to justice. Now, he was initially dubbed the vacuum kitten killer by online animal activists, um... That's what they were calling him at the time. Now, the internet community, which did identify him, reported him to authorities, warning that after committing such acts of animal cruelty, he might, he might pose a threat to humans, which, duh, normally, you know, people start with animals. Now, their investigation was later um, chronicled in the 2019 True Crime docuseries, Don't Fuck With Cats, Hunting an Internet Killer, which that's the one I was touching talking about on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. That or Hulu. I don't know. I don't watch it, so either one of those. You can still watch it on there. I I wouldn't suggest it. <laughs> um, in February 2011, Toronto police began investigating him in connection with the videos after receiving a complaint from the on Ontario Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, which is also a big mouthful, which you could call OSPCA short, right? Um, they also contacted the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals in Britain, uh, the American FBI, and police in Montreal. So, he, um, yeah. They, they all kind of knew. They all kind of knew. Um, so, he did, he did get in trouble for all that. Um, like I said, they, they pretty much gave him some time and probation or whatever, but still, that's horrible. Um, anyway, so it did progress to killing um, 
a human, uh, which was Justin Lin, Jun Lin, um, later on. So, unfortunately, Justin was last seen May 24, 2012. Um, his friends actually reported getting a text from his phone about like 9 p.m. His boss became suspicious because he didn't show up for a shift and normally he never really missed anything. Like, if he was scheduled, he would come in. Like, he was just responsible. Now, three of his friends went into his apartment on May 27th, but he wasn't there. So, they were like, eh, maybe he's maybe he's just out. I don't know. Um, but two days later, they reported him missing to the police May 29th. Um, the last images shown, you know, like, by surveillance camera was May 24, 2012. And that was when him and Luca met up and they went to Luca's apartment and it was on surveillance video. On May 25th, 2012, an 11-minute video titled One Lunatic, One Ice Pick was uploaded to bestgore.com. And yes, um... Not on that website, but you can still find this 11-minute murder video. Um, but I do not suggest searching for it, as I have seen it, and it's, um, it is really, really emotionally scarring. I, I didn't, like, look at it recently, but when it first kind of went down, you know, I was young, I was like, oh. There's no way that could be real. It's 100% real. Um, and it depicted Luca tying Justin down to the bed. And then he stabbed him. We'll get into it about how many times and etc. Um, he then started to dismember him and um, have sex with his corpse. So, I do not recommend trying to search for anything on this case unless you were looking up factual information from articles. Do not look up photos, videos, whatever, because you will find what you're looking for and it is horrendous. Please don't look. Period. That's just me. Just letting you know. Been there, done that, don't look at it. Um, now, Luca used a knife and a fork to cut off some of Justin's flesh. Um, he also even gets a dog to chew on Justin's corpse. During the video, um, the 1987 new song, um, True Faith plays in the background, and a poster for the 1942 film Casablanca is visible on the wall. So, Canadian authorities obtained a more extensive version of the video and said that cannibalism may have been performed. So, not only did he, you know, murder this young man... He raped his corpse and dismembered him, ate him, allowed a, a dog to chew on him, etc. So, like I said, don't look it up. Uh, materials promoting the video appeared online 10 days before the murder took place. Several hours after killing Justin, Luca booked a round-trip flight from Montreal to Paris using a passport with his own name. Now, May 26, 2012, an attorney from Montana attempted to report the video to, to Toronto Police, uh, which is like his local sheriff's office, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, but the report was dismissed. Um, 
I don't know why it was dismissed, but they were just like, uh, this ain't real. They, you know, they did the whole, oh, that can't be kind of thing. Um, Best Score viewers also attempted to report the video because they're like, what the fuck are we watching? Uh, we're watching this man get murdered and this needs to be reported. But they just swept it under the rug. They were just like, oh, whatever, that can't be it. So police later confirmed, yes, indeed, it was authentic. And they identified the male victim as an Asian male. Didn't know who it was yet. And as the same individual whose body parts were sent to Ottawa. Now we'll get into that. So not only did he, you know, do all that to Justin. Unfortunately, after he dismembered him and done what he did. At 11 a.m. on May 29, 2012, a package containing Justin's left foot was delivered to the national headquarters of the Conservative Party of Canada. The package was stained with blood, had a foul smell. Of course, you know, it was already starting its decompositioning part, you know. And it was marked with a red heart symbol. Now, another package containing his left hand was intercepted in a Canada Post processing facility addressed to the Liberal Party. A janitor discovered a decomposing torso inside of a suitcase left in a garbage pile in the alley right behind the apartment building in the Snowdon area of Montreal. He first saw the suitcase on May 25, uh, May 25, May 25th, um, but of course, you know, there was so much garbage they couldn't pick up the suitcase as well, so they just got the garbage. Um, luckily, they didn't pick this up because that would have never been found. After searching the scene, police recovered human remains, bloody, bloody clothes, papers identifying the suspect, as well as sharp and blunt objects from the back alley. Now, footage from surveillance cameras inside the building showed a suspect bringing numerous garbage bags outside, and the images matched the suspect who was captured on video at the post office, um, you know, bringing the packages. So, they were like, ugh, we gotcha. So, at 11.33, police searched Luca's apartment he was renting. Uh, he moved in four months prior, and he already paid up his rent to June 1st. So, he had, you know, he planned on being there for a while. The apartment had been mostly emptied before he left, um, but blood was found on several different items, including the mattress, refrigerator, the table, the bathtub. Um, and there was, a, like, a writing on the inside of the closet that said if you don't like the reflection don't look in the mirror i don't care as to what that is for you know what it means we don't really know um don't know but on may 30th 2012 it was confirmed that the body parts belonged to the same individual and they later identified justin or john lynn now, the suspect in the case was quickly identified as Luca Magnata, who had, you know, by then already fled the area because he had that round trip planned or whatever. Not only did he, I'm huffing because it irritates me, but not only did he mail Justin's body parts to some of these things, he even, oh, just so you know, um, he sent notes or a note with some of the body parts. So, a note was found with the package sent to the conservative party saying six body parts had been distributed and that he would kill again, right? Not going to be his first crime. He's going to do it again. 
The other three packages also contained notes, but their contents were undisclosed by police who cited their concerns about possible copycat crimes. Now, on June 5th, 2012, a package containing Justin's right foot was delivered to St. George School, and another package containing his right hand to Falls Creek Elementary School. Yes, elementary school in Vancouver and British Columbia. It was confirmed they were both sent from Montreal. On June 13, 2012, the four limbs and the torso were matched to Justin using DNA samples from his family. On July 1st, his head was recovered at the edge of a small lake in Montreal's... Um, I'm probably going to say this wrong. Don't come for me. I looked it up, but yeah. Um, Ang- Argington Park? Okay, question mark. <laughs> After police received an anonymous tip. What that anonymous tip was, we don't know. But somebody said, ooh... This may be over here or something. I don't know. They went and looked. They found him. So, um, as I stated before, we're going to get into the autopsy. So, that way you can just see not only was it horrendous, but it was very extensive. So, just so you know, it took pathologist Jan days. Five days to conduct this autopsy of Justin. Um, He determined Justin was stabbed 55 times. 37 to the upper body. 18 to the abdomen. And it was most likely with a Torx screwdriver, not an ice pick. Just saying. Like the video was titled. Um, The weapon went deep enough to reach his lungs and his intestines. Now, these injuries were inflicted after Justin was already deceased, thankfully. Um, The pathologist also noted blunt force trauma to his skull, likely delivered with a hammer investigators recovered from the apartment. Um, There were so many fractures on the skull that he said he couldn't even count them. Like, it was just, he couldn't. There was no way to determine how many times this man was hit in the head. Now, if inflicted when Justin was alive, um, it mostly probably knocked him out. Like, being hit that many times, he probably just passed out. Um, But that couldn't really be determined. Now, the laceration on his neck indicated it was inflicted while Justin was still alive. So, Luca had slit his throat open in the video. Just so you know. Um, And that is probably how he, you know, expired. Now... There were another 73 superficial cuts to Justin's back, his arms, and his legs. And this is a quote um, in the file, in the report, by the um, pathologist. So, quote, We cannot exclude blunt injuries noted to the head from the cause of death if they were inflicted while the victim was alive, but that couldn't be determined in the autopsy. End quote. Now, that, that report was filed July 2012. His um, coccyx, I can never say that word. Uh, it's like the small triangular bone at the base of the spinal column. It was broken. Um, his rectum was torn. And they think that that was due to a wine bottle. So, not only did he do all this horrendous things, he then sodomized him with a wine bottle. Um, Days said that most of the injuries, except 
the the cutthroat and the blows to the head happened after Justin had passed. Um, the fact that the body had arrived at the Montreal morgue at different times, several pieces, complicated his job. Because, you know, because normally, um, you know, a mortician, you get, you get the full body. Or not all the time, you know, but depends. But this was like his first time having different pieces show up at different times. Like he... It complicated his job. Now, not only that, but some parts were really badly decomposed. So, you know, they kind of worked with what they could. He also testified in trial saying, quote, It was also difficult because we usually proceed in logical steps, but the state of the body made this more complex, end quote. Days began the job on June 1st, 2012 by examining the torso, which included the neck and the tops of the thighs. Um, it had been found May 29th in the suitcase behind Luca's apartment. He was also given two arms, two legs that were missing their hands and feet. All had been kept at 4 degrees Celsius in the morgue's fridge. Uh, the morgue also received Justin's left foot and hand, which were mailed to Ottawa and his right foot and hand, which were sent to Vancouver. The pathologist noted that the fingers of the left hand were cut as though someone wanted to get rid of fingerprints. The head, which wasn't found until July 1st, 2012 in the park, was in advanced mummified state, and there were signs that animals, unfortunately, had came across and done their thing. Under questioning by Crown Prosecutor Louis Bothelier, uh, Day said that he had been shown 10 photos of the crime scene by Montreal police detectives on the case, but refused to watch the video of the crime that had been posted online. And Days told the court, quote, I see enough disgusting things in my work, so I didn't need to watch the video, end quote. Days said that Justin's throat was cut, most likely with a knife, but an electric saw. Uh, like the one found in the garbage outside Luca's apartment. It would have been needed to cut through his spinal cord to dismember him. He also said, quote, We use one like that during autopsies when we need to cut the skull open. End quote. He said a knife was used to cut through the skin and other soft tissue, but the arm and leg bones were broken at the joint with something like a hammer and then ripped from their joints. Ugh. Yeah, that's why I said don't don't search for the video, guys. I'm telling you. I know some of you are going to be like, eee, I'm kind of curious. Don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Please, for the love of God, don't do it. Um, so he broke the joints, ripped them off. The hands and feet were removed in the same fashion. There were four stab wounds, probably from a knife on Justin's abdomen. Uh, but because the body was so decomposed, it was impossible for him to say how deep the weapon penetrated completely. Now, uh, now I, I, I know earlier I said it, it penetrated lungs and intestines, and then now I'm saying, oh, but they don't know. It was two different reports. I don't know which one is, is actual factual. They didn't come in order, so maybe that was found out later. I don't know. Um... Another informational piece is the cannibalism part, right? So, Justin's left buttock was also missing. Um, that's, that's the cannibalism. 
Two medications, uh, which is Benadryl and sleeping pills, were found in Justin's body, and there were no signs of a date rape drug. So, he wasn't drugged, um, but he did have medications in his blood, in his body. Uh, Day said it was impossible to determine in what order the injuries were, com or excuse me, were inflicted after Justin had died. There were no signs that Justin had tried to defend himself, obviously, because he was tied to the bed. He couldn't defend himself. Um, he was at Luca's will. So, after the murder, and they found all this evidence, and they knew it was Luca, they started the hunt for Luca, because he had ran off. He fled the area. Um, there was an arrest warrant for Luca, which was issued by the Service de Police de la Ville de Montreal, which is SPVM. Later upgraded to a can excuse me, Canada-wide warrant by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is RCMP. They accused him of the following crimes. First degree murder, obviously. Committing an indignity to a dead body which was all the brutal stuff he did after. Publishing obscene material, the murder video. Uh, mailing obscene, indecent, immoral, or scurrilous material, which is the body parts. Criminally harassing Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper and several unnamed members of Parliament, which is also harassment by mailing body parts. So, on May 31st, 2012, Interpol issued a red notice for Luca at the request of Canadian authorities. And for several days before and after his arrest, his name, his photo, were displayed everywhere at the top of the homepage of the Inter Interpol website as well. The red notice requested that he be temporarily or provisionally arrested pending extradition back to Canada by any Interpol member state. Now, prior to the red notice, though, remember Luca booked a round-trip ticket from Montreal to Paris um, on May 25th, the same day, you know, that video was posted, using a passport with his birth name, not Luca Magnata. Now, after his arrival in France, his cell phone signal was traced to a hotel in Bagnolet, um, but he had left by the time police arrived, like he was one step ahead every single time. Um, in that hotel, though, pornographic magazines were found. Um, the air sick bag was found, you know, like the bag you can throw up in. Um, he used a false passport with the name Kirk Tramell at the hotel. So he was using an alias name. He had contacts in Paris from a previous visit in 2010, two years prior. The police were following a large frame man who had been in contact with Luca. Another man he stayed with for two nights did not recognize who he was until he left. And I bet, I mean, I don't know whatever happened to that guy, but I would have shit bricks. <laughs> I would have been like, excuse me? Um, he then boarded the Eurolines bus at the Bagnolot coach station, and he was heading to Berlin, Germany. Now, on June 4th, 2012, he was finally caught by Berlin police at an internet cafe um, where he was clean-shaven, he wore jeans, sunglasses, a black jacket with a hood, and he walked in there around, like, 11.45 Monday asking to use, an, a, use a computer. 
Now, thankfully, 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 the owner and a worker identified him. Like, they found him. They knew him. He looked familiar to the owner and the worker, right? They were like, huh, that guy kind of looks familiar. Now, of course, his pictures had been all over the German media because they knew he was heading to Berlin. So, he was posted everywhere. Um, and they were appearing quite frequently on their TV, like, on the morning, like, the news and stuff. So, staff at the cafe noticed he was looking at porn. He was the only computer looking at porn. Um, he also appeared to be checking out articles about himself. You know, Luca Magnata. He was searching himself on the internet. And the international manhunt. So, like, he was trying to get information. I'm assuming, this is me assuming here. I'm assuming he was trying to get information on what's going to happen next so that he could be, like, one step ahead like he had been. Um, now, the owner, Mr. Sungar, Sunger, don't come for me, and the worker, Cater, um, Cater, Cater, K-A-D-E-R, I don't know, guys. That's exactly why I was trying to avoid the names. Um, now, Mr. Sungar, the owner said, quote, we thought he looked familiar, but we couldn't be sure. In person, he looked a little different, end quote. Now, the owner and his worker took to the internet themselves to double-check his identity. Um, he, they, they were looking through articles, I guess. Um, they didn't really be specific. They weren't really specific about how they were searching him, but they did. And then they flagged down police. So, around 1.30, with Luca still surfing online, seven police officers stormed into the cafe and quickly removed him. Now, Luca... He did try to play the police. He was like, oh, my name is this. He was giving false names. You know, officers were like, yeah, right, dude. Like, you're caught. You're done. Right? Um, Captain Gudo Busch of Berlin Police said um, whenever he was done trying to, you know, give false names and shit, he said, quote, you got me. Right? So, since he didn't want to you know, give up his identity. They confirmed through fingerprint evidence, you are Luca Magnata, you're Eric, you're done, right? So, he then went to court in Berlin on June 5th, 2012. According to German officials, though, he did not oppose his extradition. Like, he was just like, whatever. So, there was uh, sufficient evidence to keep him in custody until he was able to go back, and he agreed he was just like, okay, whatever, whatever you guys want to do. So, June 18, 2012, Luca was delivered back to Canadian authorities in Berlin and flown aboard a Royal Canadian Air Force CC-150 Polaris to Maribel International Airport north of Montreal. Now, a military transport was reported by the government to be necessary because, obviously, you know, they can't really use a commercial flight. <laughs> so... And, not only that, but potential legal difficulties if the plane was diverted to another country. Like, it was just a whole thing. So, they placed him in solitary confinement and, you know, once they landed at the uh, Revere des Paris Detention Center. So, yeah. They extradited him and now he's about to go on trial. So... Now, of course, uh, Jun Lin, he was from China, right? So, reactions in China were, like, highly critical. 
Um, some believe the murder was racially motivated, which we don't really know. That was never really discussed. Um, some question public safety in Canada as the killing was the second high-profile murder of a Chinese student there in slightly over a year. So, Foreign Affairs Minister John Bard called Chinese Ambassador Zheng Zai-Sang to convey his condolences. Um, so, June 4, 2012, Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper said he was pleased that the suspect was caught and arrested and congratulated the police forces for their good work. Um, Interim Liberal Party leader Bob Ray said that the Canadians should mourn the victim rather than in any way, shape, or form celebrate his um, arrest. Like, they should be, like, taking time for Jun and not Luca. Now, two days later, um, Justin's family arrived at the airport in Montreal. The Chinese Students and Scholars Association of Concordia University established a fund to provide money to pay expenses incurred by Justin's family while in Canada, and an award was created in his honor. They did hold a candlelight vigil, which was held in Montreal June 14, 2012. Um, Luca was named Canadian Newsmaker of the Year by the Canadian press, which caused controversy. Like, why the fuck would he be named for anything other than a horrible monster? Like, I don't understand. Why are we giving him an award? Like, what the hell? Anyway, um, Justin's body was cremated on July 11th, and his ashes were buried on July 26th at Notre Dame des Niges Cemetery in Montreal. I am so sorry if I'm butchering all these words. I really did try to look it up. Um, just saying, but sometimes it could be a tongue tire, even if you say it a million times. So, July 16, 2013... Edmonton police charged bestscore.com owner Mark Merrick, I think is how you say his last name, with corrupting public morals. Um, so if you never like looked on there, I think I've stumbled on that website a few times. Um, but it's like they post all kinds of crazy shit. I think the website is taken down by now. Um, but you know, you used to find crime scene photos, murder videos, like, it was just crazy shit on there. Um, now, um, uh, so yeah, they, they charged him with corrupting public morals, a rarely used obscenity charge, by the way, for hosting the One Lunatic, One Ice Pick video online. On January 25th, 2016, Mark changed his plea to, plea to guilty, excuse me, and was sentenced to a six-month conditional sentence after a joint submission from the Crown and Defense. Now, he had to serve half of the six-month sentence under house arrest, which is, you know, kind of easy going, but, mm, I mean, honestly, like, you have such a big website, but it's still like a very morbid website. I don't know. Anyway, now, here comes court. So, the preliminary hearing, uh, June 19, 2012, Luca appeared in court by video link to plea not guilty to all charges through his lawyer. Uh, not guilty. He's on video murdering someone. He's not guilty. Not at all. Um, June 21st, he appeared in person at a high-security Montreal courtroom to request a trial by jury. 
A preliminary hearing began March 11, 2013. The evidence presented to subjects um, to a publication ban. Um, his defense team requested the media and the public be barred entirely from the hearing. And, of course, that was declined the next day. Justin's father, um, Darren Lin, traveled from China to attend the hearing. Rightfully so. On March 13th, one of Luca's lawyers resigned due to possible conflict of interest. Um, expert witnesses testified, including a forensic pathologist, a forensic toxologist, a forensic odontologist, a bloodstain analysis, data recovery specialist, and internet investigations officer. So they had a crap ton of people come in to be witnesses. Uh, the prosecution also displayed video evidence, um, which I'm assuming was the murder video. Uh, both Luca and Justin's father physically collapsed at several times during the proceedings. I could only imagine having to sit through a trial knowing how my child was, like, really, um, treated and murdered. Like, could you imagine having to watch this video as evidence of your child being dismembered and, and sodomized after like that's a really tough pill to swallow so yes uh luca probably done it for attention fuck him but justin's dad <sighs> bless his soul that's all i gotta say so april 12 2013 luca was indicted on charges of first degree murder offering indignities to a human body distributing obscene materials, using the postal office to distribute obscene materials, and criminal harassment. The trial, um, Luca elected to be tried by judge and jury. Uh, he pleaded not guilty, admitting to the acts of which he was accused, but claiming diminished responsibility due to, I have mental disorders. Crown attorney Louis um, Bothlier made his opening statement September 29, 2014, and Quebec Superior Court Justice Guy Cornier presided over the trial, which lasted about 10 weeks, and on the opening day, he instructed jurors that Luca, quote, admits the acts or the conducts underlying the crime for which he is charged. Your task will be able to determine whether he committed the five offenses with the required state of mind for each offense, end quote. Now, six tools, okay, six tools, a pair of scissors, two knives, a screwdriver, and a saw, which is like the, um, little round, the little round handheld saw that you would use in an autopsy per the, um, pathologist, and a hammer were recovered outside of his apartment and analyzed by ballistics expert Gilbert Desjardins. Um, he said none could be definitely linked to the killing and that no skeletal marks suggested the screwdriver or scissors were used, but some were consistent with saw or knife or exacto blade injuries. Now, even though they can't really connect it as far as um, looking at Justin's body and comparing it, you know, the wounds to the to the thing to the weapons. There we go, words. Um, as someone who has seen the video, you can tell what he's using. So, 
you know, they had two two different kind of things here. Um, during the trial, defense attorney Luke LeClaire argued that Luca was in a psychotic state at the time of the crimes and could not be held responsible for his actions. The Crown prosecutor argued that the murderer um, of Justin was organized and premeditated and Luca was purposeful, mindful, ultra-organized, and ultimately responsible for his actions, which I completely agree 100%. 100%. Now, Luca told a psychiatrist who interviewed him about the night he killed Justin that a name, that a person named Manny, doing air quotes here, Manny, whom he said was an abusive client from his escort service, was there urging him to kill him. Um, it was determined then that this name was Luca's Tramel alias, um, were inspired by Sharon Stone's fictional character Catherine Tramel in the movie Basic Instinct, and Catherine Tramel's fiance, the unseen character Manny Vasquez. So, prosecutors also suggested that the black screwdriver used by Luca to stab Justin had been painted silver to resemble the ice pick used in um, Basic Instinct's murder scenes. Um, now, Luca, of course, chose not to testify during trial. So, chose not guilty and just sat, sat quietly. After a 12-week trial, which included 10 weeks of hearing testimony, uh, the jury of eight women, four men, received final instructions from the trial judge on December 15, 2014. It was, um, you know, they were sent off to their little chambers to talk about it before beginning its deliberations the next day. So they were taking their time, going through everything, trying to trying to agree on a verdict. Um, they spent eight days, just so you know, on deliberation. So on the eighth day, they returned a verdict of guilty on all charges. So with that, Luca will serve a mandatory life sentence and will be eligible for parole after 25 years. He was also sentenced to 19 years for another charge. And, of course, that is to be served simultaneously. Now, keep in mind, the only reason why they didn't do capital punishment, which is like the death penalty, is because it's outlawed in Canada. They don't have that option, unfortunately. And even if they did, I mean, he'd probably be sitting there for fucking, you know, whatever, how many ever years living his life. So, now, um, I think, like, after, uh, you know, like, 2014 is when he was, like, you know, sentenced. Um, parole is, like, 2039 or some shit. Something like that. Anyway, um, yeah, capital punishment can't do it. So, Luca filed an appeal for his conventions to be annulled and new trial order because he just didn't like what they said. Uh, the appeal was filed with the Quebec Court of Appeal by his defense counsel, um, citing judicial error in jury instruction. How they figured that, I have no idea. Uh, the appeal further claimed that the verdicts are unreasonable and unsupported by the evidence and instructions. It wasn't fair. It's not fair. He then withdrew his appeal on February 18, 2015. So, he just kind of gave up and was like, oh, okay, well, they're not going to change their mind, so whatever. So, yeah. Uh, now, we can get into um, 
some of the mental health that he was talking about, right? Because it got me curious. I'm like, well, his dad had schizophrenia. Uh, he was actually diagnosed with that. His dad was. His mother, she just seemed to be depressed um, or whatever. So maybe he did have some kind of mental disability. Just something, right? Now, I must say there is one, two, three, four, five, six, about six or seven expert testimonies that were given that diagnosed him with some kind of mental disorder. And it wasn't just the defense. It was also persecutor and the defense. Like, yeah. So I don't believe this is um, an excuse for his crimes whatsoever because he definitely knew what he was doing. Um, 100% knew and did it deliberately. So the mental health we're going to get into right now. So, this was all trial expert testimonies, okay? So, there was an expert, Dr. Roy, who was um, an independent. That meaning he wasn't with the Crown or the defense. He was hired differently or whatever. So, he said borderline personality disorder with hysteronic traits. Um, our next one is Dr. Paris. He was with the Crown. Um, he also said borderline personality disorder. Dr. Chamberlain, also with the Crown, um, antisocial personality disorder, hysteronic personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder. Um, Dr. Allard, who of course was with Defense, said paranoid schizophrenia. Dr. Watts with Defense, schizophrenia, his hysteronic personality disorder. Uh, borderline personality traits and paraphilia and the last one Dr. Barth uh, also with the defense said paranoia, paranoid schizophrenia there we go so they all said he may have had something you know just something now um, during his trial though for the murder defense witnesses provided evidence that Luca had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia as a teenager so, he was diagnosed back in his teens. Uh, defense expert Dr. Joel Watts testified he showed signs of episodic schizophrenia, which is like undifferentiated type, um, hysteronic personality disorder, borderline personality traits, and paraphilia, not otherwise specified. Uh, the prosecution revealed that he had been using illegal drugs during his teenage years, which led to symptoms that mimicked schizophrenia. Okay. And that he had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder by Crown expert Dr. Joel Paris at Jewish General Hospital in Montreal, April 2012. Uh, Dr. R Renee Roy, the forensic psychiatrist who treated him at the detention center in November 2012, through his preliminary hearing and right up to the murder trial, diagnosed him with borderline personality disorder with historic, hysteronic features, excuse me. Um, Dr. Giles Chamberlain, another crown expert who was not able to interview him, suggested that he showed signs of antisocial, hysteronic, and narcissistic personality disorders. He testified that his actions at the time of the murder were best explained by his hysteronic personality disorder. It's a tongue tire. Uh, the prosecution accused him of pretending to be schizophrenic since his defense pleaded diminished responsibility due to alleged schizophrenia. 
um, and noted that a number of psychiatrists over the years have found that he displayed antisocial, borderline, hysteronic, and narcissistic personality traits, and not really so much so schizophrenia. Now, um, he was kind of also looked into for some other possible murders um, after all this went down. So, June 8, 2012, the LAPD announced they were in contact with Montreal police to determine if Luca was involved in the unsolved murder and decapitation and dismemberment of Harvey Medellin, known as the Hollywood Sign Murder, but later announced that they did not believe he was involved in the crime. So, he was looked into, he was, you know, cleared. The animal rights group Last Chance for Animals claimed responsibility for posting YouTube video videos linking him to the Hollywood sign murder in an attempt to lure Luca into Luca Luca into contacting them. Um, they also offered $7,500 reward for information leading to his arrest while he was on the run. Uh, November 16, 2015, Gabriel Campos Martinez was sentenced to 25 years to life for the murder of Harvey. So, that murderer was found, and he did get justice, thankfully. So, uh, Luca was also investigated for possible links to the 2010 to 2017 Toronto serial homicides, although this lead was eventually abandoned, not because they couldn't prove that he didn't do it, but because they had a lack of evidence. They couldn't say he did or didn't. They were just like, we don't have enough evidence to say yes or no. So, they don't know. They don't know. Now, in the media, uh, the, mur the murder of Justin and its following trial drew comparisons across North America to Mark Twitchell, which was like a convicted murderer inspired by Dexter, who used social media in his crimes and to self-promote his work. Um, author Stephen L Lily. I can't say his last name, guys. I even wrote it down. It's still, yeah, still a tongue tire. Um, <laughs> let me try. Steven Lillibuin. There we go. Okay. Who wrote a book on the case described a trend in crime where social media allows killers to become like online broadcasters and they have a direct instant access to a global audience that they may crave. So if you guys haven't really looked it up, there's been a lot of like online killings here lately, um, whether it be like suicide or homicide or like something crazy, like that stuff gets caught and taken down super, super quick. But you know, there's been there's been some killings on hell on TikTok, I believe, or something like that. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook Live. There's been all kinds of stuff. Um, Netflix produced a three-part docu-series um, on Luca Magnata. You know, the don't fuck with cats. I don't watch it because I, I don't do I don't do animal stuff. So, but it premiered December 18, 2019. You can go watch it if you want to, but I'm not. Um, now let's talk about where Luca is now. Which, this kind of pisses me off. Um, I don't like the fact that he's having a good life <laughs> at the moment, okay? Um, and you'll see why. So, he remains in max security prison in Quebec in 2018. Um, Toronto Sun was actually able to gain some letters that he had written, as well as photos of himself. 
Dowley confirmed that in 2015, he had signed up for an inmate dating website called Canadian Inmate Connect, which, what kind of bullshit is that? Excuse my French, but like, why are you allowing these people who have done heinous things to meet other people? Like, what? I'm, I'm sorry, what? He dismembered and, you know, freaking molested this, this, this young man's corpse and among other things he did and you're gonna let him sign up for a dating website you gotta be kidding me shame on you canada why why do you have that you need to take that away anyway according to reports he said he was looking for a white man between the ages of 28 and 38 who's in good shape listed um for his desirable characteristics he wanted loyalty education financial stability and emotional emotional stability he wanted a good man okay in 2017 the montreal gazette reported that luca was marrying a fellow inmate anthony gollin good luck keep your eyes open tonight i don't know if you guys get to be together or not but you never know you kill once you can kill again i mean whatever uh, the pair tied the knot on June 26, 2017, with Luca's mom, Anna, as their witness. Um, in 2018, reported by Toronto Sun, it was revealed that Luca's life behind bars wasn't necessarily what people may think, right? He said, quote, I'm outside the majority of the time, and I play a lot of video games. We have movie nights, we have our own TVs. I have painting class and I exercise a lot. I practice language studies. People need to be proud of their accomplishments. Know your value and share it with everyone. End quote. You know what? Why don't you go trip over something and break your neck? Okay. <sighs> anyway, I don't want to get sued, but just saying. So it was also reported that he talks with his mother almost every single day and she comes to visit him a lot. In 2018, his mother teamed up with Brian Whitney to write a book about her son titled My Son, The Killer, The Untold Story of Luca Magnata and One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. Although the book starts with an apology to the family of, um, you know, Justin, which is a fucking joke, the mother maintains that her son is not a monster, right? He, he's not a monster. Sorry that he did that that one time, but he's not a monster. In 2020, following COVID, um, his mother, like, practically begged authorities to let him go. It's a death sentence, she said. It's equivalent to a death sentence. Being in, in jail with COVID-19 is a death sentence. Well, you know what? Maybe he deserves that. Too bad Canada don't do that kind of thing. But COVID-19, she was like, please, please let him out. Whatever, whatever. His mother is reportedly convinced that he is rehabilitated and ready to return to society, which is also a freaking joke, right? In early 2022, he attempted to take the government of Canada to court as part of his demands to be transferred out of max security. He wants out of max security, just saying. He wants to go back to population or whatever. According to his lawyer, per CTV News, the Correctional Service of Canada denied his request for transfer last summer, but has not ruled on a grievance that was filed over the decision. Magnata was re 
reportedly told that he'd receive a response by May 2022, uh, which I tried to find if they let him go or not back to like, you know, like a minimum security prison or some, some crap like that. I, for the life of me, could not find where this man is now. I don't know if he's still in max, max security, minimum prison. I don't know. Um, I couldn't, couldn't find anything. Um, but his lawyer says it is not within the efficient and ex expeditious time frame required by Canada's Corrections and Release Act. Anyway, he asked to be moved from the max security port, uh, like institution in Quebec to medium security. Uh, not minimum, sorry, that was my mistake. He wants to go from max to medium. Um, and like I said, I can't find any updates. Um, you know, they were trying to do it by May 2022. They're probably putting him off. I mean, honestly, like, I don't really think they're going to give him what he wants. He already got freaking married. I mean, he already has a great life in prison, so probably not trying to give him anything else. You know what I mean? But if I find any updates, I'll post it. But other than that, guys, I mean, that's all I got for today for this episode. Um, there's the Instagram photos related to the case already posted. Um, I've already announced the episode is good to go on Facebook. So, yeah, I'll see you guys either next Monday on the 19th or the 26th. I am going out of town for Christmas. I'm going back to my hometown. So, I will be traveling. So... We may or may not have, um, I'm going to try to do at least like a short Christmas episode. Maybe like one of those, um, like Mondays episodes, you know what I mean? Uh, Weird Crime Mondays. So, I may do one of those, like do weird Christmas, um, crimes or whatever. Just to kind of give us a palate cleanser. Because when we come back, we'll probably have another horrendous one that we're probably going to do, but... If you guys want, I would appreciate you guys if you join the Facebook group. You can just look up the name of the podcast, find us on Facebook, add yourself, invite your friends, invite your family, whoever may like the podcast. Um, also, Instagram. I know a lot of people don't really use Instagram nowadays, but I can't really post stuff on Facebook uh, related to our cases like I can on Instagram. So if you guys, you know, got a little curiosity, go to go to Instagram, check out our facebook and you know join us join the fam hope you guys have a great day happy early merry christmas because just in case you know but hope you guys enjoyed have a good one well guys that's all for today's episode make sure you tune in bi-weekly we are every other monday for another riveting case where i will traumatize you more than you probably already are <laughs> so thank you for listening uh don't forget to check out the instagram at morbid period curiosity period tc podcast for photos related to each case that i cover feel free to send me spooky crazy stories or case suggestions at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com and don't forget to rate the podcast on spotify and apple pod or whatever you're listening to us on um i do appreciate all you spooky listeners please stay kind stay spooky and for the love of god don't murder anyone <laughs>